Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice. Hey, Reza- now. Greg, what are you doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What I- Allison, where did you, you come from, Greg? I came from the world of childish, and I just want to make sure that your listeners know that you're just as wonderful on the, on the other podcast you do. What if they don't have kids? Don't need them. You don't need them. A lot of our listeners actually tell us they don't have kids. We talk about sex. We talk about all sorts of dirty stuff, but also parenting stuff. Yeah, so. Check out Childish, new episodes every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to a very exciting episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. My guest today is WWE star Alexa Bliss. She is a five-time women's world champion, and I think I messed that up, and a (laughs) former women's tag team champion. Clearly, I don't exactly know what I'm talking about, but I know that it's very, very cool and impressive. And also, she hosts the podcast Uncool with Alexa Bliss. Hello. Welcome. Did I mess up your champion titles? Hello. Um, No, actually, the women's championship, that is definitely what it's called. We have a Raw and a SmackDown women's championship. Um, But you did pretty good, especially for, you know, being new at announcing them. And I will say the the theme song is very catchy. Thank you. Thank you very much. I like Um, it. So Alexa Bliss, that is your your ring name. But what do you go by in real life? Lexi. Lexi. In real life. It's it's, so my real name's Alexis. My ring name's Alexa. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty, pretty similar. There's not too far off. Right. Okay. So should I just call you Lexi? Yeah, you can call me whatever you want. So question for you. Um, I know that when you debuted, you were sort of like a Tinkerbell character and you would throw glitter, right? And then the glitter got outlawed because it got on everyone. And then at some point, you, Alexa Bliss, the character, kind of morphed into like a master manipulator who has a Napoleon complex, who's like the heel, right? And again, please everyone recognize I'm using wrestling terms, which are a bit unfamiliar to me, but I'm trying (laughs) to catch up. (laughs) Um, So what was that experience like changing your character? Um, So it was actually very nerve wracking to change my character when I first started um, with WWE, because they always tell us to be your personality just turned up by a thousand. Mm -hmm. So I've always been a big Disney fan, always been, you know, big Tinkerbell fan, anything that's, you know, whimsical Disney cartoon, that is me. And so I was like, okay, cool. So I'm just going to pretty much be a pixie person. And I came out, I blew glitter. I wore tutus. I was having a blast. It was, it was literally my personality turned up by a thousand. And then and then WWE, uh, the writing team in NXT were like, yeah, we can't relate to that. We can't write for that. That's not relatable. And um, <laughs> we need to find something else. And so then they told me I was going to be a bad guy. And I panicked because mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, no, like, what do I what do I do? I don't even know where to start, because if, if someone basically tells you, like, this is your personality and this is who you are, that's not going to work. We got to You got to change that. <laughs> and so you're just like, right. Oh, my gosh. Um, so. 
I kind of just started acting like every girl I went to high school with. And that's kind of how the persona started and blossomed into the character it is today. How much time passed in between your last performance as the Tinkerbell kind of character and your first performance as the the new one? Maybe a week. Oh, wow. So really fast. A week to figure it out. Yeah. It's, that's how everything works in WWE. Everything is fly by the moment, very fast. You know, we have shows weekly. So, you know, sometimes it changes minute by minute and mm-hmm. you have to be adaptable and ready to change everything. And I remember this specific day because I had blonde hair with blue on the bottom of my hair and I walk into work and this was actually, actually, no, this change happened overnight because we had an NXT takeover, which was our versions of like pay-per-views mm-hmm. in NXT, which is our, at the time was our developmental program before it became a third touring brand. So I was in NXT, which was our develop, de- developmental program. And this was a Wednesday or Tuesday night. I had turned into a bad guy. And it was at the end of the show. It was a very 30 second. I pushed someone off the top rope. That just shows I turned into a bad guy. (laughs) That ended around 10 p.m. Now, we had to be at the venue the next day at 11 a.m. I walk in and they're like, where's your red hair? And I was like, I'm sorry, my what? (laughs) Like, where's your red hair? And I was like, no one told me to have red hair. And they're like, well, you have three and a half hours to figure out how to get red hair because the good guy has blue hair. The bad guy needs to have red hair. And so I had to call my extension lady because I wear extensions, Mm -hmm. whatever. I had to call her and be like, hey, I need red hair in like the next three hours. So she comes to the venue and my hair was all blonde. Brand new extensions just got them put in. They were very expensive. I was so heartbroken. She had to chop the blue. Oh, wow. It's completely off dip dye red into my hair. And then on top of that, not only did I have to look different, I had to act different. So it was like, what do I do? And this was maybe a 14 hour turnaround of personality change. (laughs) Did you, so when they, cause given that they are like just your personality turned up, you know, a thousand percent. And when they said that your first character wasn't relatable, they didn't know how to write for that. Did you take that personally? No. Oh my gosh. No, I never took any of it personally because, you know, I know it's a show, it's entertainment and what I thought would work sometimes doesn't, you know, Mm -hmm. and sometimes, you know, what's crazy is a lot of times you circle back to what your original idea was. And when I became a good guy again, I found that I was doing, you know, the foo-foo-y stuff again. And it's just so funny that, you know, everything comes full circle. It's just, it it wasn't that it wasn't relatable and it just wasn't relatable for that time. It wasn't, you know, as a new character, there was no dimension to it because Mm -hmm. I was just happy all the time. You know, there's no, there's nowhere to go with that. There's no conflict. Cause that's what our whole business is. It's, it's antagonist, protagonist, conflict resolution. And when someone's constantly happy all the time and throwing glitter around and wearing a tutu, <laughs> there's no cares in the world. So you can't write for that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it was completely understandable. And I'm so glad that that happened because if I were to still be trying to do that, I would have probably, I, yeah, I would have not succeeded at all. So I'm very lucky that they said they couldn't write for that and couldn't, you know, relate to it. I mean, it, everything happens for a reason, I believe, and that worked out for the very best. So sounds like you went to high school with a lot of um, unfriendly women. Oh, 100%. Girls, you know, I, I mean, yeah, you know, that that was the thing, too. That was another reason why, you know, I, I wanted to do the type of podcast that I wanted to do, because when I grew up, I started school very young. 
you know, I was at right at the cusp of, you know, the age, you know, you could start school at turning six or start school turning five. Mm -hmm. And I had just turned four when I started kindergarten. Oh, wow. I was always very young for my grade. And so when the girls, you know, I was literally from mean girls when the girls were all, I actually have a picture of this when all the girls were dressed in, you know, the little like scandalous outfits, you know, the, you know, the foo-foo-y skirts with the mm-hmm. cleavage. Right. I was a scary vampire. You know, I, <laughs> I just, I was never at the maturity levels of the other girls in my grade. Mm-hmm. So I was the target for a lot of, you know, bullying or, you know, harassment and, you know, and I wasn't the girl that the guys went for. I was the girl that was the guy's best friends. Mm-hmm. And I listened to them talk about the popular girls to me. And I wore a vote for Pedro shirt once a week. You know, <laughs> I was, I was just not the ideal image of what, you know, from middle school all the way up to my freshman year, I was definitely the target for the mean girls to uh, have fun with for sure. And then did something change your freshman year? I moved schools. So I ended up getting jumped <laughs> and moved schools my freshman year. Wait, after jumped freshman. like a bunch of girls tried to beat you up? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that happened. I was walking down the hallway with my, my boyfriend at the time. His name was Quinn. We we're uh, walking down the hall and this girl, she was trying to, you know, portray that she was just like super tough and her friends, like she was just trying to get in with this group of girls and they're like, well, you better beat someone up, you know, kind of a thing. And so I'm walking down the hall, minding my own business. I had like I was not the fighting type at all. I had my, I remember I had this like Hollister jeans skirt on and I had my hair pinned up on one side with a little, I called it the Britney Spears fluff because it was a little (laughs) fluffy like clip that looked like a pink fluffy ball. Yeah. Like they also made pens and those were on top of the pens too. Yes. hundred percent. That was in my hair (laughs) on my shoes. Like, cause it was from, you know, hit me baby one more time or whatever. Yes. Yes. And, um, I'm pretty sure I got it from limited Two and still wore it <laughs> was the issue there because I was already a freshman in high school. I should not be wearing accessories from limited Two, And I totally was, but she comes up and hits me in the back of the head. Oh my God. So punches me in the back of the head. I don't see out of my right eye because you know, when someone hits that area, sometimes you can like your eye shuts and uh-huh. you know, everything gets all small in there. But, um, so then she jumps me and I actually still have a scar right here on my elbow and it is an acrylic nail. I don't know if you could see that. It is a scar. Yeah, I see a dark nail. spot. Yeah. Yeah. So it was an acrylic fingernail that just got in there, dug in oh. there. And, you know, I was an easy target. It was what it was. And um, it was right before Christmas break. So I got an extra long Christmas break. It was like two weeks because we both got suspended for it. <sighs> and But I got an extra long Christmas break. So I was like, whatever. And then I ended up switching schools. Um, because because of just- that? Yeah, because of that, because it was just after that, I just, you know, once people knew they could mess with me mm-hmm. at that point, it became, you know, it was easier for, I was a target for more people. So I ended up switching schools, but in that meantime, you know, my parents got me in self-defense classes and I started kickboxing. Um, and I grew up athletic my whole life, did gymnastics, cheerleading, softball, kickboxing. And so then when I moved schools, the first person that ever tried to mess with me, I was like, I stood up for myself and I was like, no, that's not how this is going to work. And, um, you know, things were a lot better at my new school and, you know, it was so much, everyone was so much nicer. And, but so circling back, that's kind of why I established this character to be, you know, the girls that I originally went to school with. And I always find that your best, um, inspiration and best 
motivation is everyday life and people every day. So I use a lot of things that people do or say. And if I think it annoys me, I use it because it's probably going to annoy someone else, mm-hmm. especially as a bad guy. So it's, it's, it's just fun to get like motivation from people in real life. Um, do you feel that your experience in school being bullied, would you call it bullied? Do you feel you were bullied? Um, to an extent. Yeah. I mean, cause it was just little things all the time. So it wasn't like I've only gotten physically bullied once, but I had gotten, you know, mentally, you know, picked at a lot. But that is how girls bully, I think, often. Yeah. They um, do the emotional scars. <laughs> right. Did, well, that's, that's what my question was going to be. Do you feel like that left a lasting impact on you? Because I know in seventh grade, I became, I was never super, I was never popular, but I went to a small school and there were like the popular kids and then the unpopular kids. And I was like, I had a firm, solid standing within the unpopular kids. Um, and then all of a sudden this new girl came in and it was seventh grade and it was, it felt like a year, but it was really only like for the last month of seventh grade, I just became like the social pariah. I just became the target. And it affected me for, for so long. I mean, I don't feel like it's, it doesn't affect me anymore, but I remember when I got to college still worrying that like, what if everyone decides they don't like me? Like, what if I lose all my friends? Like it, for so many years, I carried that with me and it was only a month. Like the scars were so deep from that. Yeah, I think for me, it, it was it was a lot easier to kind of deal with it after I moved because, you know, my first school that I grew up and went to, you know, everyone was so clicky. There mm-hmm. was, you know, the cheerleaders, which I was a cheerleader at the time, but then there was, you know, the, you know, the jocks, the theater people, blah, blah, blah. And then when I went to my new school in Hilliard, everyone was just so blended. There was no clicks. Like, you know, I did theater track and cheerleading and everyone hung out together. There was no clicks. There was no, you know, there was one group of girls that they just, you know, believed in their own hype, but everyone was just like, okay. You know, like it wasn't like a calm down, you know, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a thing. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's kind of how I got through it a little easier. And you know, it just having that inclusion and uh, just everyone just always supporting each other. And it was so weird because it was such a different dynamic at this, just mm-hmm. this one school and they were 15 minutes apart. So that's what was so crazy about it. It's just the the way people treated each other was just so different. And yeah, it affected me for sure. But I think it's like with that, with that, you know, that insecurity and emotional, you know, scars, I guess, that you carry with that. I focused that onto, you know, I did bodybuilding and after college and then I got into WWE and I just focused it instead of socially, I focused it career wise. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what happened. Like that's what happens. Sometimes you take those emotional things and you, you focus it in a healthy way. Is the WWE like socially, what's that like? It's like, if you were, you know, when like Thanksgiving, when all the family comes over and everyone's (laughs) together and it's just loud and people Mm -hmm. are laughing, but then some people like get sick of each other. And then it's, it's like, it's like Thanksgiving at your, at your parents' house, 300 days a year. (laughs) 
we're all a big dysfunctional family, but we all love each other. I mean, obviously when you see someone every day for Mm -hmm. 300 years or 300 days, there's going to be, it feels like years sometimes (laughs) it's going to be, you know, there's going to be a little bickering and arguing, but then at the end of the day, we're all family and we're all going for the same goal. And we all just want to have a good product. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, some of my closest friends come from work and, and then it's what's nice about it too is the days that we are, you know, home, we don't have to see everyone from work, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's nice. It's, it's, it's a really healthy balance and it's always so much fun because, you know, sometimes you're in, you know, the ring with your best friend and you are having matches against your best friend. And then you guys, you know, have the match and then talk about it after and, you know, give each other feedback. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you, have you been, I imagine you've been home for this whole lockdown, right? Yes. So I've been home during COVID, but we still film every week. We film in Orlando, which I live in Orlando. So it works. <laughs> and so how does that work? The filming? Um, so we film at the Amway center every, every week. Um, we have two shows, raw films on Mondays, SmackDown films on Fridays. And, you know, we quarantine as much as we can, but we do COVID testing, um, one to two times a week, depending on what show you're on. And once, you know, if you're negative, obviously you can come in. And so we, we, we COVID test the day before television and we have to self quarantine until television. Mm -hmm. So there's no risk of us, you know, somehow contracting, COVID in any way, shape or form. And then when we're there, we have to wear masks the whole time. And, um, until right before you go out and perform and, you know, and everyone's, they have people cleaning everything 24 seven and just any, anywhere you go, someone wipes it right down. And so mm-hmm. it's been very, it's been very nice. Um, and it's been nice to, it's kind of been nice to be home because normally we travel 300 days a year almost. And so it's been nice to be home. And like, I finally decorated my office. I finally, you know, hung out with my animals. I got, I got four dogs and a pig, you know, I got to hang out with them and it's been, it's been fun. Oh yeah. I need to ask you about Larry Steve, right? That's your pig. Larry Steve. Yes. What kind of pig is Larry? What's his personality like? How Um, big is he? He he is a 200 pound Vietnamese potbelly pig. He, I got him when he was four pounds and he is now three turning four years old and is 200 pounds and is a grumpy old man. If there's any way to describe him, he wakes up every morning, he looks for food, he finds said food and then goes back outside, hangs out. He lives in the house. He has his own room. He's very spoiled and he likes belly rubs. (laughs) Is he bigger than you expected him to be? No, I saw when I got Larry, I saw his parents because I got him from a pig farm. So I saw his parents and, you know, the other pigs around. And so I knew how big he was going to get. I just didn't know how bossy they would be. (laughs) He runs the household and he knows he does. And that's the worst part about it. Is he friends with the dogs? He used to be. So he used to be friends with Frankie. I have a little Chewini named Frankie and he's like, this he's maybe 10 pounds and they grew up together. So I got them a month apart and they grew up together. They used to, he used to lay down and and Frankie would lay on top of them and they would just sleep like that all day. And it was the cutest thing ever. And then once he got older and the dogs, you know, got more personality and, and I just got an English, my boyfriend got me an English bulldog for my birthday and the puppy energy Larry does not like, he does not like that puppy energy and he just gets so annoyed. But other than that, they all, they, coexist pretty well um my brother has a pig and uh he is all about he is 
all he is like obsessed with his pig Um, yeah he also has a dog and he's obsessed with his dog but like the pig obsession like he was there's a calendar called like what is it called hunks and hogs or something and he posed in this calendar with with his pig oh my gosh i feel like it's a whole lifestyle it really is it really is i mean i kind of so larry is very bougie in the fact that i tried making him a mud pit about two months like three months ago I made him a little mud pit because my, my outside has like a little garden area that the owners that had the house before me made and they just never finished it. So it's just dirt. So I was like, this is great. Larry's going to love this. <laughs> Put water in there. I throw carrots in there. He loves carrots. All he eats is carrots. And he, he did not want any part of it. He stuck his toe in, would grab a carrot very so slightly and then wipe his feet. And so I was just like, are you serious right now? Like this pig does not like dirt does not like mud right i've heard that that they're actually very clean yeah he's very clean and he if he like goes out and roots and digs his nose in the in the in the dirt he will rinse his face off in a water bowl before coming inside he's very he's very smart he's very he's very bougie (laughs) that's so sweet Who, who watches them when you go on tour so my aunt also lives here and she takes care of the animals when I'm gone. And then my parents live about eight houses down. I so watched everyone's the, here. Oh, that's so nice. Um, I watched the, the WWE video where your parents were interviewed. Um, oh yeah. I couldn't get over how young your mom looks. I know that she was young <laughs> when she had you. Yeah. She was young when she had me. She was, she, so I always say I went to high school with my parents. I kind of did. Um, my parents, I was born, I believe, going into my dad's senior year. And then my mom had just ended her senior year. And he's my mom's only two months older than my dad, but my dad never lets her live it down. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so they after my mom had me, she waited a year and then graduated with my dad's class. And yeah, so they they had me very, very young and they're still together. And it's a very rare story, but they... Uh, they're amazing and, you know, very, very supportive of what I do. And they, they love it. Were you a wrestling fan growing up? Uh, my family was huge wrestling fans growing up. I, I watched it. I liked watching, you know, Trish Stratus, Rey Mysterio. And I watched it every time I was at my grandmother's house. My grandma is a diehard WWE fan. Die hard. You cannot you know, pull her away from the TV when <laughs> WWE is on. And, um, I never expected to become a WWE, you know, wrestler by any means. Uh, but once I saw the opportunity came about, I knew I wanted to try out for it uh, just because I thought it'd be something awesome and fun. And, you know, I didn't think anything would come of it. I sent in a video online from WWE.com and I was like, put a video as to why I thought I should be a WWE superstar and submitted that somehow got a tryout from that. And somehow, uh, got signed from that and been with the company for almost eight years now. What about it appealed to you? I love the athleticism and the uh, drama. I love the fact that, you know, it's, it's like an athletic soap opera. You know, I love the, I love the acting part of it. It's my favorite and the athleticism and it's a lot of fun. And, you know, our women are portrayed as strong, you know, independent, just awesome and butt kickers (laughs) and uh it just just always appealed to me i know that you had 
um, a pretty severe eating disorder, right? Yes. And then you got into bodybuilding as like a way to, because you knew you had to put on weight. Yes. Um, was it anorexia? Yeah. So I had anorexia and I had that for a long while. I actually had that for quite a few years. Uh, it started in high school. My senior year, maybe my junior, senior year. And I ended up hospitalized from that because I ended up losing like 30 pounds and, you know, a few weeks and, and got very and you're unhealthy. Five one for people who are trying oh, yes. to do the math. You're tiny. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I was at the time I was maybe 80 pounds mm. and I was hospitalized because my heart rate was 28 um, oh when I was God. at the hospital. Yeah, it was not good. It was not a good situation. And, you know, I, I had to get treatment for that. And the first, you know, the first round of treatment for that, I was in the hospital for two to three months. And then I went back to school uh, and was doing really well. And then I went to college where I cheered and my cheer coach at the time had also had an eating disorder. And I had told her that, you know, I can't be doing these things that you ask us to do. For example, you know, we had to sign in to do cardio twice a day or do bod pods where it measures our body fat percentage. And I would say, you know, I can't do this. And, um, I found myself going back into my tendencies and, you know, because I, because of the pressure to do those things, because of the pressure to do those things. And, you know, I was a flyer at the time, which is the person that gets tossed in the air. And, you know, she would say, well, you know, if you can be the flyer, you, you'd be the first freshman to be on the nationals team in so many years. And it became very, um, very scary. And once she saw, I think, because, you know, she had, had an eating disorder as well before. And so she had seen it. And once she saw me, you know, dropping weight dramatically and looking a little scary again, I got back down to like 80 pounds. She would tell me, you know, maybe after practice, go get like a blizzard or something. (laughs) And she was trying to help, but you know, the worst thing you could ever tell someone in the midst of an eating disorder is, Hey, just eat. Mm -hmm. And that's what she was doing. And I remember it was after a football game. I had my uniform still on. It was after a football game and I'm sitting there and everyone's packing up their stuff. And I'm just like shaking my head. No. And I'm, I just look up at everyone and I say, Hey guys, um, this has been real. This has been a lot of fun, but I got to go home. And I, that night I packed up as much of my stuff out of my, sorry, as much as my stuff out of my apartment as I could get through it in my car, threw it in my car and drove home from college and was admitted to the hospital the next day. But this time it was different this time because this time I wanted to get help. Mm. You know, the first time in high school, the help was forced upon me and I didn't see my eating disorder. I didn't see that I was sick. Um, but this time I saw it definitely. And, you know, I always say you never want to help. People don't get help until they actually want to help themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, people can offer help. People can try to force help on people, but no one's going to get better until they want to get better themselves. And so this time was different because I admitted myself and I had to go through another three months of treatment in hospital because every time, you know, my eating disorder would, would come back. It wasn't my, it wasn't the mental side of it that I couldn't recover from. It was the physical. So my heart rate would always drop and my heart wouldn't come back or my, my, organ functions would fall and not steady and not level out. And so for me, it's, I know that my body would never survive another eating disorder Mm -hmm. because of how hard it hits my body when it happens. When you, and I, 
I hope this question is not triggering. If it is, don't answer it. Oh, no, no, um, no. When you were in the midst of it, I'm curious what it felt like. Like, if you, like, did it feel like I know this behavior is not good, is self destructive, but I, I'm compelled to do it? Like, I can't stop, like an addiction? Um, 100%. It was definitely an addiction and definitely a fear. For me, it was a literal physical fear of food um, because your brain, you know, goes into overdrive and the serotonin in your brain drops, everything, you know, goes all haywire. And not only did I, you know, know it was an addiction, I was physically, mentally afraid of food. Mm -hmm. I, if I were to eat something, I would freak out and then naturally my legs would start, you know, moving and twitching. Cause I thought I had to burn that calorie off. And it was very, um, it's, it's just, it's so crazy to think back and think I actually thought that, you know, and it's because, you know, it was such an unhealthy thing to go through mentally. And yeah, I would hundred percent, hundred percent say it was an addiction, but it was also a very, very severe fear. Mm-hmm. But you don't, you don't suffer this anymore. No, not at all. Not anymore. Um, I had, you know, a burger and French fries earlier, but you know, <laughs> it took a lot to get there though. It took a lot. Even when I first signed with WWE, I was very strict on my diet, very, and I did bodybuilding. And then, you know, it just took me up to like maybe five years ago to realize my bodybuilding diet and what I was doing to my body and bodybuilding was another form of an eating disorder, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I know people, some people are like, Oh no, like they, people, people could get backlash. I'll whatever for saying that hundred percent is you're regimenting your food, you're regimenting your workout. You are obsessing over numbers. You're obsessing over your weight. And for me, it was another form of an eating disorder. It helped me get healthy and eat healthy foods, but I was doing it in a non-healthy mental way. So, you know, constantly tracking and, you know, there's one thing about being healthy, but then there's another thing of being obsessive. Mm -hmm. And that's when the OCD part of it comes in and it's obsessive compulsive and addiction. So up till even when I first started with WWE, I was very strict on my diet, right? Uh, worked out, I would work out at 5am, then go train in the ring for three hours and then lift with NXT for an hour and a half after that. And I realized after that, you know, sorry, that's okay. Is that the puppy? Yeah. My, my boyfriend walked out and he, the puppy loves him and has separation anxiety from, <laughs> um, and so my coach even told me, my coach was like, Hey, you need to gain weight because everything is going to hurt. <laughs> you know, you're, you're getting going to get thrown around in the ring and it's going to hurt unless you get some cushion on you. And after that, you know, I, I gained weight in a healthy way and it, I've never looked back, never had a single issue with any other, any other food, any other thing. And you would think, and you would think too, being in a certain spotlight on TV, on social media, that the last thing I would want to do is be out there in a shorts and a half top and, you know, not be in my best physical shape I've ever been. But, you know, it's like, you know, I'm healthy now and it's a lot, it's a lot better. And now I know that the stuff doesn't hurt as much. It still hurts, but not nearly as much. (laughs) Um, Like what are the things that you can't do because you're, because it might, might trigger it? Um, I don't think anything now I've been, you know, it's like, do you keep, do you weigh yourself? I do. I do weigh myself. Um, I weigh myself maybe once every two weeks. And that's just because, you know, I, well, I started weighing myself because there was a, you know, I started enjoying quarantine a little too much and (laughs) I put on my wrestling gear and it started like 
you know, the seams when they pop a little <laughs> started here and the pop, pop, pop. And I was like, Ooh, okay. So we're gonna have to <laughs> loaded cheese fries, not tonight. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I do in a healthy way. I, like I, I maybe weigh myself once every two weeks and that's just to, you know, keep track of, you know, it, I go based on how I feel opposed to how I weigh or how I look. Right. Yeah. Um, I watched like a top 10 clips of you and there's some move you did where like, are you double jointed? Can your arm pop yes. out of socket? Yes. So I'm double jointed to both my elbows and I knew it would come in handy one day. I just didn't know how, <laughs> <laughs> how did you discover that? I, my whole life, you know, I was a gymnast my whole life and, you know, you have to hit certain positions and every time I would put my arms up, my, my teachers would tell me to bend my arms and it's because you want your arms to go straight up and mine would just naturally go out and just mm-hmm. overextend. So I've been aware of it my whole life. You know, they always told me like, keep your arms up. like, don't do that. It's gross <laughs> because it did. It looks gross. <laughs> and yeah, it looks um, painful, but it's not. No, not at all. I don't even notice it. And in fact, like if I don't stretch it, it's more painful. I see. Because, so it, so it just feels yeah. like a natural movement of your arm. Yes. It doesn't it's a feel very like natural. Got it. No, no. My arm, it's like if you straightened your arm where it stops, mine just stops a little farther. <laughs> mm-hmm. That what a what a nice feather in your cap to be able to do that. That's what I said. I was like, I knew it would pay off one day. I just didn't know how. And so when the opportunity came about, I was like, I have an idea. Yes. <laughs> and that's when that's when we did it and it got a great reaction. And I was like, I knew it. It would pay off one day. <laughs> it's very cool. Um I need to tell you guys about BetterHelp. If you think you may be depressed or you're feeling overwhelmed or anxious, BetterHelp offers licensed online counselors who are trained to listen and to help. Talk with your counselor in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp counselors have expertise in a broad range of areas, including anxiety, grief, depression, difficulty sleeping, LGBT matters, anger, family conflicts, and more. Uh, You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then get matched with your counselor in under 24 hours. You can easily schedule secure video or phone sessions with your therapist, plus exchange unlimited messages. Everything is confidential. And if for any reason you're unhappy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. I think that is such an important feature because especially right now, people might be thinking, well, I'm nervous about starting up, you know, virtual therapy with someone new. What if it's not the right fit. I don't want to be committed. You're not. You can change as many times as you want. They will get you the right person. You will find the right match. BetterHelp is an affordable option, and our listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code Best Friend. Get started today at BetterHelp, betterhelp.com slash best friend. Talk to a therapist online and get help. So, what made you decide you wanted to do a podcast? Well, the podcast came about because. So WWE was dabbling in the podcast world. You know, we have a few other superstars that have podcasts and they're doing really well and they're really fun to listen to. And on the show on WWE, I also have a talk show that's within the program called Moment of Bliss. And basically I just, you know, bring on superstars, provoke them a little bit. And we talk about their storylines and help drive the storyline. So I think they were like, so who on the roster likes to talk a lot? They're like, (laughs) Lexi likes to talk a lot. So they came, they came up to me and they're like, Hey, would you want to do a podcast? And I was like, yeah, sure. About what? <laughs> and they're like, we, we don't know. That's what, that's what you have to go up with. And it was, uh, it was over a year in the making because, you know, we started last October maybe. 
we did the first test episode and uh, it was going to be character driven with WWE and then it was going to be a game version and then it turned into, you know, between two ferns and then it turned into what it is today, which is uncool. And uh, when we did the test episodes, we had a couple of superstars sit down and talk to us about, you know, things they, you know, about themselves growing up, who they are and who they were before they became, you know, the WWE superstar that we know them as today. And we found that that was the most fun conversation to have because everyone that is, you know, famous or a celebrity or a WWE superstar has had a, that we've seen so far has had a pretty funny teens and preteen years. So we were like, why don't we just focus on that? Let's talk about the most awkward and cringing things that happened to them growing up and how it's affected them today as these, you know, cause we see one of our, one of my uh, guests, my first guest was Mike, the Miz Mizanin, and he is, this A-lister Hollywood is his persona and he's very cool. And, you know, he's just in your face. And then it's funny to see, you know, growing up, he was complete opposite of that. Mm -hmm. And he had, he shared his most embarrassing stories of getting food poisoning on a first date with a girl and blowing (laughs) up the entire bathroom with vomit and (laughs) doo-doo. So it was, it was very funny. And then, um, you know, I told the team, I was like, what if we expand, you know, beyond WWE? Like, I would love to interview the people that I looked up to as a teen or I looked up to as a child. And so I was able to interview Lance Bass, who was my childhood crush and, you know, profess my love to him. I was like, <laughs> I told you when I was uh, I was 10 and I was at the NSYNC concert. I told you I loved you and you didn't say it back. And he was like, well, he's like, are you sure I didn't like give you a wink or something? I was like, no, you hundred percent no sold me and you ignored me. And I will remember that till the day I die. Um, (laughs) And then I got to interview um, next week, my interview with Taylor Hansen airs. And he was my first ever crush. Oh, wow. How, you know, I grew up looking like a handsome brother. So, you know, we had that in common and just, just little things. And it's been a lot of fun and hearing some of the stories that, you know, these people that you idolized or look up to, you find out that they had these embarrassing stories and it makes it so relatable. And it's just been so fun. And, you know, my, I had my boyfriend on the podcast and I found out stories about him that I had never heard, but they are extremely hilarious. And, you know, it makes you like these people even more. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. And I've interviewed comedians and, you know, it's, it's been great. Um, I have to pay you a compliment. I was listening to your episode with your boyfriend, Ryan Cabrera, and you are, you're good at interviewing. Like you're really good at sort of honing in on specifics and then asking follow-up questions. And I was impressed. Thank you. I appreciate that. This is my first like ever go with podcasts. So I really, I really appreciate that. Thank you. So (laughs) did you know what, what, uh, did you, were you aware of your boyfriend before you guys started dating? And like, what, who, what did you think of him? So what I knew about Ryan, I was so out of the loop. So I remember I was at a, um, I was at a Tilly's not too long ago, like maybe a year and a half, two years ago. I was at a, I think that was called Tilly's, that little skater shop. I think so. Yeah. So yeah. I was at Tilly's and on the way down came on and I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot about this song. That's cool. Yeah. Like I download it, whatever. And I was, didn't think anything of it. And I was like, that's the dude that like married Ashley Simpson, right? Like that's how far off I was. I, 
I thought they were like married with kids, the whole deal. Right. Very out of touch because I just, I don't know that world. Mm -hmm. And um, come to find out that was not what happened. And uh, we met because of an online rumor that we were already dating, but we hadn't even met each other. Oh, wow. Yeah. So whoever was running his social media, it, it wasn't him, but whoever was running his social media at the time started just like liking all my tweets for like a week and a half, two weeks straight, replying to every one of my tweets. And I even screen capped it and sent it to my friend, Kaylin. And I was like, what's this guy's deal? <laughs> and I'd be like, Calm down. You know what I mean? And I was just like, what's his deal? And so WWE fans, they are very passionate people. Mm-hmm. They, they know our lives inside and out. And they started these Instagrams. They were like, oh, they must be dating. Ryan just Cabrera, because of the, dating. the social media Just behavior? because of that. Yeah, just because of oh, wow. whoever was running his social media. Because he, like, when I asked him about it, he was like, I genuinely don't even know the password to my Twitter. <laughs> that, he does now, but he didn't at the time. And so he, they liked all my stuff. And people were like, oh, my gosh, they must be dating. And he's friends with another WWE superstar, Mike The Miz. And Mike called him and was like, hey, I heard you're tied to Alexa Bliss. And he goes, what's an Alexa Bliss? Because he thought it was a clothing line. And he, he was like, well, you know, next time you guys are in LA or whatever, I'll introduce you guys. And uh, we come to find out that we've, but we didn't meet through Mike. We met because he was flying to Orlando for a show. And I lived in Orlando and he was like, oh my God. And we just kept like, we just kept meeting in like different cities. And our schedules kept matching up. And come to find out, we ended up being at a lot of stuff together before we even met. And oh, wow. You know, he had videos of me from WrestleMania on his phone because he was getting videos of Hulk Hogan. I'm like, that's me standing right next to Hulk Hogan. I'm on your phone. <laughs> and we just never, we'd, we'd been three people apart before and mm-hmm. never met each other. Oh, and so it's just, it's so crazy how it all worked out. And uh, yeah, and then we've been quarantining together since, you know, the test of time. And it's been amazing. <laughs> You guys have been together since February. Is that right? Uh, I don't even know. We met back in November. And then, yeah, I would say that's that's appropriate timeline. I know we just, of him. We just kind of go from when we met. I know of him. I didn't know the Ashley Simpson stuff until I listened to your podcast, although I should have known that. Like, I feel like everyone knew of him because he lived with the Simpsons which I didn't know, but I know him because of Audrina and the Hills. Yeah. Um, yeah. I never, I never watched that. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known that one. I, that's how out of touch I am. I did. I never watched like that. My first experience with reality TV was like watching Jersey Shore. That was my first reality TV. I remember all my friends watched, you know, the Hills and all that stuff. And I just, I was never, I was never that person. But until, you're in, you know, you're into the bachelorette though, right? Yeah, I just start. Yeah, we just started the new season of The Bachelorette, and it's crazy. I love all those reality shows. We watch. We now because of COVID and quarantine, we now watch Marrying Millions. We watch Ninety Day Fiance, Ninety Day Fiance before the Ninety Days, Ninety Day Fiance after the Ninety Days, Ninety Day Fiance. Now what? <laughs> we watch all those, you know, reality shows. And now we just introduce the bachelorette again because the new season and we just have a whole just, you know, realm of shows that we just keep watching and we are addicted. Do you watch Vanderpump rules? 
I've never seen Vanderpump Rules. I I stopped watching it. I feel like I need to get back into it. But I there was a period of time where it was like all I talked about. I would go on other people's podcasts and I would bring the conversation to Vanderpump Rules. It was almost as if I was on the show, given how much I was right, promoting, promoting it. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I have some questions that listeners sent in. I take questions on Patreon and on Twitter, uh, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. I'm on there. You get bonus episodes, you get behind the scenes content, um, you get videos. Although this video, my Monday show videos are on YouTube. So if you're hearing this and you want to be able to watch it, which why wouldn't you? YouTube.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go for that. Um, but I also take questions on Twitter and we have a little song. Let me find it. When we ask, they send them in They're wondering how you have been So thanks so much for answering These questions from our fans All right So on Patreon, two huge wrestling fans wrote in and they both have multiple questions. Um, Sarah Miller says many women wrestlers today have a different look than what seemed to have been the norm for women wrestlers of the attitude era. And I don't even know the term attitude era. How do you feel this has affected women in wrestling and wrestling fans who are women? Um, you know, with our women's evolution, you know, things definitely changed with how our women were presented and perceived, you know, we back in the attitude era, they were called divas and now we're called, you know, women superstars. So there's a, definitely a difference in shift, but what we wear, uh, we choose what we wear. You know, I choose, you know, I, I choose to have my butt cheeks out a little bit, you know, whatever. <laughs> but it's so, cause you know, cause here's the real, here's the real thing. You get a wedgie anyway. So if you already start with the wedgie, it's not going anywhere. You know, <laughs> if you're constantly picking your shorts out of your butt, you know, right. and I don't show too much, you know, just enough that where I don't have to pick wedgies because I know my shorts are going to get there anyway. Um, but yeah, what we wear is, you know, our choice. You know, we, we choose our outfits, we choose our gear and it has to be approved. And, you know, I would say, you know, I wasn't around in the attitude era. And what does that I'm, mean? So the Attitude Era was an era in WWE in the 90s and 2000s. And it's kind of where all the rules were kind of thrown out the window. And it was very edgy, very different. And now we have, it was a PG-13 era and now we are PG era. Okay. So basically that's the, that's the difference. PG-13, now we're PG. So now we dress PG opposed to PG-13. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of really the way to describe it, I would say. Was was it just visually different? Like the PG thirteen versus PG? Did it have? Did it affect the storylines and the language, or is that just outfits? Um, you know, the storylines and language definitely uh, affected. You, you know, we don't use curse words nearly as much as was used in the Attitude Era, uh, and you know, some of the, you know, we don't have intergender matches anymore. Um, we have mixed matches, which is so intergender matches is guy versus girl, but now we have guys and girls teaming up together. Mm. And so, you know, you're seen as equal and, you know, it's, it's been, I actually had a tag team partner in the mix match challenge. He is seven foot tall, you know, and having a five foot tall person being with a seven foot tall person was very entertaining and a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I would just say, you know, the only difference is, you know, it's a little bit, it's definitely more family friendly and kid friendly now opposed to the attitude era. Um, okay. Here's, uh, here's a hard hitting question. Um, 
WWE has come, this is from Sarah Miller as well. WWE has come under fire in recent years for a stance on its wrestlers as independent contractors. Is this still the case? Do you ever feel like there is pressure to be in the ring, even if you are hurt or feeling ill? You know, WWE takes care of us 100%. You know, we all are in a contract and anything that happens inside the ring, WWE takes care of, you know, our health is 100% priority. Our health and safety is 100% priority in the company. And, you know, it's, we're, unfortunately we're living in the middle of a cancel culture where people try to start rumors and, you know, make their assumptions of things. And, you know, there's, never been a time where I've ever felt uncomfortable about being in the ring or have ever felt forced of being in the ring. You know, even when I was injured, I had concussions and Vince said, all right, well, we're going to send you to the best specialists there are. And he did. And I saw concussion specialists and I, they went above and beyond to take care of me. And, you know, I know everyone feels that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Sarah Miller also says, uh, there have been many fun storylines over the years. Of course, there have been many offensive ones as well. Are y'all allowed to say no to storylines that do not sit well with you? We have as much creative input now than ever, I feel like. You know, I just did, I two years ago, I did a body shaming storyline with Nia Jax. Um, Nia is six foot tall. And she is a Samoan girl and she is muscular. She is, you know, a bigger frame than I am. And we did a body shaming angle. And that was our choice because we wanted to show that bullies never win. And I was the one bullying her. And we are both very big on body positivity. And we wanted to show that these things really happen in life. We've both gone through, you know, body image issues. I've gone through eating disorders. And so when we were presented with this opportunity to do this bullying story and angle, we hundred percent jumped on it. We're like, this is a real issue. A lot of times real issues aren't talked about and we're going to act out this real issue and show that when she takes the title for me at WrestleMania, that bullies never win. And that was our whole goal. And that is our favorite storyline we've ever done. And we used real examples, real things. And because we felt passionate about that. And that's kind of how our storylines work. I love that. Um, Tyler Furland says, wow, this is huge. Ask her how she feels about working with Bray and if she has any input on where her current character is headed. Just let her know that my girlfriend and I are both big fans of her and her work in the ring and outside of the ring against cyberbullying. Oh, thank you. Um, so I have been having so much fun in my recent, uh, time with WWE. You know, I've always wanted to be working alongside a character like Bray. And because he is so good at what he does, he puts so much background research into what he does. And he is the true epitome of what a WWE superstar should be. You know, he is compelling. He is always evolving and changing and being something new and fresh. And to be able to work with someone like that just always gets you know, your creative juice is going. I always feel, you know, you're only as good as the person that you're working with. And if you're working with someone who has a different approach, if you can adapt to that approach, it just makes you a better performer and, you know, in the ring, out of the ring. And it's been a lot of fun. Um, I have a question. This is a question from at yeah. Allison Rosen. <laughs> Was there a time in wrestling where performers were not open about the fact that it's storylines? 
Um, yeah, there was definitely a point, um, way back when, way, way, way back when, um, to the point where I remember Terry Taylor, who was a WWE superstar. He is now a coach in NXT. He would tell us stories of the road that people would literally throw bottles at our bad guys and would chase them out of the arena and follow their cars. And because people were so invested in the Mm storylines and invested in what we do. And, you know, we've had to say, you know, what we do in the ring is very real, but the outcome is scripted. You know, we were telling stories and it, we had to embrace that approach. Now we keep the storylines as real as real as we can, because we want to keep the audience engaged and captivated in what we're doing. And, you know, obviously some of the stuff that we do, you you look at the TV and you're like, come on, but (laughs) we keep it as real as we can, because if we're investing in it, you know, we want the audience to invest in it as well, because what we do is based on crowd interaction and reaction. So there was a time when, you know, the interaction and reaction was a little too real. Mm -hmm. So they had to be like, look, you know, these people are people. (laughs) They're not, you know, they're not always the characters that they betray on TV. These are actual people that have real lives and you have to respect that. Did you watch glow? I did watch glow. What'd you think of it? The first season. Like, what do you think? How accurate do you feel like it was? And, and also, what do you think of it? Um, I found it very entertaining. I found Glow very entertaining. Um, accurate, I would say, like, the constant training is very accurate because people don't understand what we really go through. You know, even when you first start in WWE, um, we trained and did shows six days a week. My hours were 8 a.m. to sometimes 2 a.m. Oh, my God. And there was... N- six days a week and you were constantly traveling a different city every day and you would go and train in the ring for three hours, lift for an hour and a half, have promo class for an hour and a half to two hours after that, and then go to a show. And I think, you know, the constant training and what our bodies go through was accurate. Um, you know, it's, it's just such a different dynamic because glow was, is a story based on another, wrestling federation from another time. So you can't really compare the two. It's the, it's apples and oranges. You know, you can't right. really, it's a little too different to, but I found it the first season. I found it entertaining for sure. Uh, Muhammad Hussein would like to know, does she plan on becoming a four time raw women's champion? I plan on becoming as many time raw women's champion as I can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Nick Wester PI would like to know, What's her favorite Disney World or Disneyland attraction? Ooh, um, so my new favorite, because I've always been a fan. I, I've always rode Space Mountain and was terrified of it every time. Because it, it, it sounds rickety. It's in the dark. It mm-hmm. looks, it's old. You know, and I always go, I'm never doing that again. And then the next day I'm like, oh, Space Mountain, here we go. <laughs> I have like a Dory moment. I'm like, oh, great, here we go. Um, <laughs> um, I love Tower of Terror. I love guardians because the different parks are so different. Um, I will say I love pirates of the Caribbean in Disney Shanghai. That is hands down the best pirates of the Caribbean that there is. Cause uh, with WWE, we travel so much. Mm. I was able to go to all the Disney's except Hong Kong. I haven't been to that one yet, but, um, 
But the new Mickey and Minnie ride that they added in place of the great movie ride at the uh, Chinese theater is amazing in Hollywood studios. So cute. So amazing. I haven't written the Star Wars one yet, but I'd have to say for now, it's the Mickey and Minnie one. Do they still have Tower of Terror in Florida? Because they don't yeah. have it out, out in, in, at Disneyland or California Adventure anymore. Yeah. So uh, that was the thing, too. So I, I wrote it. I wrote Guardians because I, I always went to Disney World. I didn't start going to Disneyland really until I started dating Ryan. And I'd gone to all the other parks and, you know, Tower of Terror, even in, even in Tokyo, it's different. It's so crazy. But it's Tower of Terror. I didn't want to like Guardians because I was such a diehard Tower of Terror fan. And I wrote Guardians. I'm like, that's my favorite. It's great. You know, and it, it's, it's so, yeah, we still have it. We still have a lot of um, the original stuff. And uh, I think they're doing some updates, but I hope they don't change Tower of Terror because it's so nice to have different flavors, you know, different right. things. Yeah. Well, Lexi, it was so nice talking with you. Thank you yeah, so thank much. You. Um, you guys, if you like what you're hearing, please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Allison Rosen and subscribe to this show. Download, rate, review, uh, leave five-star comments or leave five stars and leave a comment. I've been doing this for 400 years and I still always stumble over what it is exactly I'm telling you to do. But all <laughs> the things you can do with a podcast, please do them. Uh, your reviews help out the show so much. And listen to my other podcast, Childish, my parenting-ish podcast that I do with Greg Fitzsimmons. You don't need kids to listen to it. Um, and again, I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. I'm on Cameo, cameo.com slash Allison Rosen. And Lexi, tell everyone um, where they should go to follow you and what what they should look out for. Um, so every Tuesday, Uncool releases a new episode. So check out Uncool with Alexa Bliss. Um, you can find me on Instagram on Alexa underscore Bliss underscore WWE underscore because someone took the screen name that I wanted when I first started the Instagram. And uh, it's a thing. And <laughs> on Twitter, Alexa Bliss underscore WWE. Um, thank you again so much. It was great talking to you. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. About the Allison Rosen Show We had a good time But now we gotta go Yeah, Allison Rosen Is your new best friend